0: On today's show. Spending a week at a mission conference could be the most dangerous thing you do because if you're not careful, if you're not intentional, the gospel of Jesus Christ could wreck the American dream for you. If you allow the gospel to wreck your view of self from an earthly standpoint, gospel will also wreck your view of others. Because the gospel has changed me, I'm no longer free to view people as the backdrop of my life. Because of the gospel, I must view each person as an eternal being of intense spiritual potential.
1: Stay tuned. Greetings and welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, your host. And this week, we've been busy at work celebrating the appointment of several new missionaries with ABWE. The Missions Podcast is a resource of ABWE. And we're so excited. Some of you and our listening audience have enlisted as workers to be sent out to the nations, partly because you've connected with ABWE through this show. And so we rejoice in that. We praise God with you. And because of that, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. We've also, by the way, just while we're on the topic, We've also been working on getting a new series ready, which is going to launch in December to the public. But if you're a BWE missionary, you've already received a link with access to it. Foundations of Faith and Mission, that is an exclusive new series, and that'll be coming here in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that. You might even hear a little bit about it on the podcast. Uh, but this week, we wanted to ask you this crucial question. When was the last time? that you let the grace of God wreck you, floor you. And this week, if you're stagnant or if you're feeling weak in your faith, if you're tired, maybe this message is for you. This is a sermon delivered by our co-host, Scott Dunford, who now is pastor of Western Hills Church in San Mateo, California. Once served in a leadership role at ABWE here, as well as an ABWE missionary in Western Asia and he shares this week how the gospel wrecks us, and yet it's a beautiful wreckage. We hope this talk encourages you in your walk, and stay tuned until after his talk for a few special words and announcements.
0: What a joy to be with you guys. Don't you feel like you've been drinking from a gospel fire hydrant this week? Overwhelming. How many of you would say there's one aspect of your life that is utterly ruined in a good way by this week? How many would say that, God, you've ruined my life in some way that I will be forever changed based on what I've heard and responded to this week? If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. This morning I was having my coffee, had my journal out, my Bible open to a very appropriate passage, and the lighting was right. I had an empty plate in front of me, and my hashtags were ready. Fasting. No filter. And then I remembered last night's message and I had to start all over. Let's pray and ask God this morning to ruin us for the American dream. That He would change our perspective and let us walk out of here with concrete steps of what we need to do next to live in light of the gospel, to be transformed. Do not let the Great Commission just be something that we think of in theoretical terms, but that it'd be something that impacts our life, and that we'd start living with the end in mind. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard so many gospel truths, and because we have heard the truth, we are accountable in a unique way. And Lord, we give this time to you, and Lord, I ask that you will bless this campus, The gospel of Jesus Christ will dwell richly, and whether we're studying art or whether we're studying engineering or nursing or pre-med or the Bible, linguistics or music, that we would see it all through a gospel lens. We would ask ourselves the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with this gift you've given me? Lord, in the brief moments we have this morning, Lord, I ask that your gospel would once again ruin us for the things of this world. Give us a taste of heaven and help us to long for eternity with you. Help our love for you to be so overwhelming that we will grow tired and sick and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. And we give this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Sometimes I have a hard time sleeping. Last night was one of those times I just laid in bed and rolled around. And it reminds me of how much I love a good night's sleep. Can I get an amen? Yes. That was great. And there's nothing better than getting lost in a good night's sleep and being lost in a good dream. <laughs> and there's nothing worse than being lost in a really good dream and then being woken up and startled out of that dream and having to try to, like, get back to that place. You know what I'm talking about. The other a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were laying in bed. I don't know if I was dreaming or not, but let's just imagine that I was. And in the middle of the night, 3.30 in the morning, the time when you are sleeping the soundest, we heard this incredibly large crash. My wife is, I think, a ninja. (laughs) Dr. White, I know that you're into the martial arts, but my wife might be able to take you. (laughs) I'll give you an example. That's no put down. This is an amazing woman. We're laying in bed, this is when we were first married, this is a different story, and I'm laying in bed pretty sound asleep, but all of a sudden I see my wife out of the corner of my eye jump up on the bed and catch something in her hand. The light fixture was falling out of the ceiling, and in the middle of a dead sleep, she jumped onto the bed and caught the light fixture before it hit the ground. That's what I mean. So 3.30 in the morning, a couple weeks ago, we hear this incredibly loud crash, and my wife jumps out of bed and runs to my kids' room, because she is convinced that some tree that isn't in our yard fell on the house and maybe crushed the kids. I don't wake up that fast. I have no ninja powers. And I woke up. And I realized it probably wasn't a tree hitting our kid's room, and I walked out to, the, to our window overlooking the front yard, and there in front of me was an uh, incredible scene. A car had come racing down the road in the middle of the night on our quiet street, hit our neighbor's car that was parked out in front of our house, drove, smashed it into the, into the light pole and then into the tree that was sitting in front of our house. And as I look out, I see glass, I see uh, a car that's utterly destroyed, I see a door open, and I don't see a man inside. My wife comes back into the room, and like I said, she's a ninja, and so she immediately jumps into action. She's on her way down the stairs. She's going to do CPR on whatever man is in that car. And what do I say in a very gallant way? Don't forget your CPR mask. Why? Well, I don't want her to get AIDS. Like, of course, right? I don't know who that guy is. I don't want her to get AIDS. That would be terrible. Finally, after a little bit of time, I kind of... Realize I'm not acting in a very manly fashion. And I pull my wife back and I ask her, you call 911, I'll go downstairs. By that time our neighbor had come out and it was a very loud crash. And I come downstairs and when I see the car, it's utterly destroyed and the door is open and there is a man inside slouched back and he's bleeding, semi-awake. There's glass everywhere and I look into the car and there's cash and there's drugs. So I'm thinking a lot of thoughts at that moment. Millions of thoughts go through my mind. What was my first thought? Okay, I'm a pastor. I've pastored a church. That should make me somewhat spiritual. I've been a missionary. I've trained missionaries. And now I'm the vice president of mobilization at a mission agency. I've traveled across oceans. I've learned foreign languages. I've braved the streets and restaurants of exotic places. So what would this very spiritual person be thinking in a moment like this? What would you imagine? I'm thinking about AIDS. I'm worried that he might have a gun. I'm thinking about the drugs in the car and I'm thinking about the entanglement that might mean for me is if I'm there and I'm a witness to this and it gets a big thing and now these drug lords are after me because I was the witness to this and got this guy in trouble. Basically, I don't want to be affected by this guy. I want it to go away. I don't want it to bother me. It already woke me up out of my sleep, and now it's going to affect other areas of my life. Everything about my reaction at that moment was from a merely human point of view. It was according to the flesh, as Paul might call it. I'm not proud of this, but in that moment, I thought of everything but that man's eternal soul. And you might be sitting there and listening to my reaction and go, yeah, I mean, that is a very appropriate reaction. What is wrong with that kind of reaction? What is wrong with taking care of myself and worried about my own situation and how these things will bother me and affect my life and ministry? How should we think about refugees in Syria, bombings in Paris, AIDS in Africa, ISIS in the Middle East? Did you start a new semester? How should you be thinking about the Muslims just up the road? Or the 33% of your peers in America, those under the age of 30 who are religiously unaffiliated, some people call them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. 74% of those were raised in homes similar to yours. How can I think about all of that? Those things when I have relationship issues of my own to deal with, when I have papers for days, student loans that are piling up, spending a week at a mission conference could be the most dangerous thing you do. Because if you're not careful, if you're not intentional, the gospel of Jesus Christ could wreck the American dream for you. Just as my peaceful night's sleep was wrecked, by an early morning crash, it is my prayer this morning that your peaceful American dream will get wrecked today by the power of the gospel. In the few minutes we have this morning, we want to take and look at Second Corinthians chapter five. You could turn in your Bibles there. Second Corinthians chapter five. "In the wake of that accident, these are the verses that have haunted me since. These are the words that have been meditating and brewing in my heart, and I hope that as you read these verses with me and as you think about them, that they will ruin life for you in some way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians five sixteen, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you know this verse, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This morning, we're going to start with a view and understanding how the gospel changes us. And then from there, we're going to branch out in the verses before and after and look at how the gospel changes our view of God and changes our view of others. So first, the gospel wrecks your view of yourself. Look at verse 17. He says very clearly, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know these verses. Your mom probably has this written on a mirror at your house You've learned this in Awana or VBS. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, and we understand that to mean the gospel transforms our life and we don't have to live in the sin that once defined us. The gospel changes our very identity. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but now we're sons and daughters of God. That is powerful stuff. And Paul says, the gospel has changed you. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The gospel then changes our relationship with God. We're no longer under judgment. But now we have this relationship with God that we are his sons and daughters. We are declared righteous by God. And clearly because of that, the gospel changes our actions. If we were to drop down to chapter 6, 4 through 10, we see some of the ways the gospel changes our actions. Paul says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, like David Platt talked about on Tuesday night. By truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The gospel changes everything about you. that's not all it changes if you allow the gospel to wreck your view of self from an earthly standpoint gospel will also wreck your view of others look at verse 16 one verse above says from now on therefore because of the gospel we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we saw him as a man he walked among people We didn't understand all that was going on in his life. We saw him as just flesh, and yet we regard him thus no longer. If we were to step up and even look at verses 14 and 15, what does it say? It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him for whose sake he died and was raised. Because the gospel has changed me, I'm no longer free to view people as the background noise of my life. Take a second and look to the person on your left and right. Look very carefully at them. Look in their eyes. Okay, is that awkward? Very awkward. (laughs) The person sitting on your left and your right are not just lumps of flesh that kind of provide the backdrop for the things that you do every day. We laugh about that. But isn't that kind of how we think? Haven't you ever wondered if the people around you are even real? Maybe we're in this matrix and I'm the only one real. The gospel blows up that attitude. There are no Muzak humans. They aren't elevator noise in my life. These are eternal souls with which you look into their eyes. They will live forever somewhere. Now look back to the person on your left and your right and think in your mind... This person will live forever somewhere. That, my friends, is a disturbing thought. Because the gospel has changed me, I'm no longer free to view people as the backdrop of my life. Because of the gospel, I must view each person as an eternal being of intense spiritual potential. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, said this, something you're probably familiar with. And if not, you should be. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. He's saying, if you were to see the person in your class who you do not really want to have anything to do with because they are so dull and boring, if you were to see them in the glories of heaven... You would be blown away and think they must be a god. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as now you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. To see that same person burning in the lake of fire and torment would cause us to have nightmares forever. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures and arts, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals with whom we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. As we think back as what we've learned this week from Harry and David, Rob, seven billion souls, 3,961 unreached people groups, 2.9 billion people living in those unreached people groups. 1.7 billion Muslims being born, living, and dying, and going into eternity. 490,000 Buddhists living and dying and going into eternity. 1.1 billion Hindus living and dying and entering eternity. 670,000 animists living and dying and going into eternity. A billion non-religious living and dying and entering into eternity. One state up in Michigan, 170,000 Muslims right there. And yet you go home to your neighborhood, and there's a pagan neighbor living right next to you. And as you sit in class, there's a nominal Christian sitting right next to you in class, living and dying and entering into eternity. At this point, you might be saying, stop, I can't deal with it anymore. If you're like me, these things just overwhelm you to the point you're kind of like, ah, what, what can I do with this? I don't know how to comprehend this. As so we served in East Asia... I had a a friend come up to me, a believer, who had a gift of evangelism, and and he viewed me as somewhat of a mentor, and he stopped me on the street one day as we're in this big city, millions of people every day just streaming past you, and he said, Scott, how do you do it? how, how, how as Christians are we supposed to live in a place like this, as every day we see millions of people dying and going into eternity and going to hell? How do you sleep at night? Help me, because I'm haunted by this. In my heart, I'm like, easy, just tune it out. Right? Isn't that what we just do? We just kind of, I don't know those people. Just blobs of flesh doing their thing, backdrop of my life. See, the gospel had gripped his heart in such a way that he could not help but see each one of those people as created in the image of God, at war with God, and entering into eternity at some point, not knowing Jesus Christ, and then spending eternity in hell. Because of the gospel, if we allow these riches to settle in our souls, our cushy American nerf lives will be wrecked. How can you live and breathe with this kind of weight of humanity laying on your shoulders? Because the gospel has changed my role from victim to first responder. My perspective must shift from the one who is wronged to the reconciler. What happens when someone's life is touched in this way? I think of one of your alumni, Nadine Hennessy a woman who at a very young age found herself widowed with a young daughter. And as she watched the news every day, she saw in Kosovo women just like her who had lost their husbands to war and genocide and said, here, my Lord, send me and moved there and just began serving and ministering to widows and orphans in the way she knew and offering educational services. And you know what? That Muslim nation noticed her and they saw what she was doing and the impact that the gospel was making and has given her a, an opportunity and a role that is unprecedented amongst Muslim nations. Or I think of my friend, Todd and Amy. Amy's a graduate of Cedarville. Todd was a mechanic. A mechanic. Fixed cars. And eventually God blessed him and he ended up selling some cars and making some money. But God never let the Great Commission leave his heart And now they live in Central Asia, working with Muslim men and women and training Chinese pastors to minister to those people, using what God has given them and giving their life away to serve Jesus Christ. Or I think of a man from Ohio named Pat Kirby, who was a businessman. He had a gift of of organization. And he moved to Eastern Europe. And he served there using the gifts that God had given to him and then suddenly dropped dead from a heart attack. And someone in this room has got a gift of administration and studying business right now and doesn't know how in the world they could be used of the Lord to change lives for eternity. Just follow after Pat. Just do what he did. The gospel, if you allow it to, will ruin your view of yourself. It'll ruin your view of other people. And it will ruin your view of God. He says in verse 18, All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself let those words just seep into your soul christ reconciled us to god and gave us then the ministry of reconciliation so as the gospel is changing my life here now the gospel changes my life here because jesus christ has done this for me i have a responsibility to do something here with you That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us to implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God." The gospel here shows us the intensely personal nature of God. Who is it that he reconciled? Us. That means like you and me. Like that's really personal, right? Because it's personal I'm looking you in the eye. It's kind of awkward, right? That's really personal. And God's saying, yeah, it's not like Cedarville. It's you and you and you and you and me. He reconciled me to Jesus Christ, to God through Jesus Christ. It's very personal. But beyond that, the gospel shows us the incredibly compassionate love of God. In verse 19 and 20, we see clearly humanity is very guilty. David Platt made it so crystal clear for us. We are There are no innocents, and I certainly am not an innocent. And yet in the middle of my guilty and my trespassing and my iniquity and my sin, God had compassion on me. He showed me his love. He poured it out for me. And God's compassion extends to the ends of the earth because humanity is guilty, but we see here God is doing his pleading through you and through me. What a compassionate God. He say, I want the world to know me. I want the world to be reconciled to me. That's why I saved you. That's why I've blessed you. That's why I've given you the intelligence and the brains and the money and the citizenship to attend Cedarville University and to be born into the family that you were born into and have the opportunities that you were born to have. Not just so that you can retire someday with a cushy life. No! It's so that you can use these resources to connect people back to God. That's why God has blessed you. Gospel also... Reveals to us the absolute justice of God. In verse 21, we see it very starkly. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God's justice was poured out on Jesus Christ. The eternal love within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Was broken so that God could crucify Jesus Christ so that we could be saved. That should tell us something about how God views sin. He did not even spare his own son so that we could be saved. Do not think then that our sin is a trifling matter or a light thing that can just be ignored. Far from it. Jesus Christ had to die for your sin. This shows us the seriousness of it and how God thinks of it. Looking at it through this lens helps us to understand Paul's appeal in verses 10 and 11. As he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. As believers who've been transformed by the power of the gospel and become new creations, we can look back at the cross and say, God is someone to be feared because he takes sin seriously. And because we know that God takes, seri- takes sin seriously, we cannot just be casual about the people that we're sitting around, or the people that we run into in the airport, or the people that would serve us at the grocery store or the gas station. A life gripped by the gospel takes life and death and judgment and forgiveness and heaven and hell as supremely serious things and arranges life priorities around them. I don't know if God's calling you to the mission field or not, and it probably you don't know yet. But are you going to rearrange your life as a result of this conference in such a way that you're arranging your priorities to be used by God however He calls you? That should cause you to think about how you spend your summer. It should cause you to think about how you rack up debt. It should cause you to think about how you interact with your roommates. Is your life gripped by the gospel in such a way that you take life and death as serious things? There was a man about your age. His name was Judson, and he grew up in a Christian home. And when he graduated from high school, he went off to college at Brown University. You guys know Brown. It's the Ivy League school out in Rhode Island. And while he was there, his faith was challenged by a young man named Jacob Eames. And he was lured away by the Christian faith by this student who mocked Christianity endlessly and and poked fun at Christianity and made Christianity seem like the stupidest thing in the world. He was a philosopher. He rejected all religion, including the Bible. And he ridiculed the God of the Bible, and under his assaults, Judson's faith crumbled. He lost his faith in college, but he kept it hidden from his parents. But when he graduated, he did his own thing. And he moved to New York City and decided he wanted to become a playwright and start writing plays. That's what he did. He'd been the valedictorian at Brown, a brilliant young man. So he moved to New York, and after a short time, he became disillusioned with the life there. And God was working in his heart, but he didn't know it then. And one night, as as he was traveling home... He stopped in a small town and stayed in an inn, and that night in that inn, there was a man next door to him, and the man throughout the night was screaming in agony. It's hard enough to sleep, and here this young guy is listening to this guy dying in the room next to him, and as he's laying in that room, he began to be afraid for his own life. As the man cried out in despair and thought about eternity and was talking about how in his delirium, he was so tormented that he could not sleep. And he thought these words in his mind, is this man prepared for death? That's really all that matters. Am I? And he began to think back to Jacob Eames mocking Christianity and, and he began to be disquieted in his heart and really was struggling with this. As he's thinking about his faith that he grew up with and he's thinking about the words of Jacob Eames, he could hear in his mind, Really, Judson? You're this week? You're the valedictorian of Brown University and you're spooked by a little superstition? And as he lay there, finally he drifted off to sleep. In the morning, he got dressed, went downstairs, and he asked about the man in the adjoining room, and the response was simply, He's dead. And so he mustered up his courage and he looked at the innkeeper and said, Do you know who he was? The innkeeper responded, oh, yes, he's the young man from Providence, Brown University. His name was Eames, Jacob Eames, and he could hardly move. He didn't leave the inn for hours, and he reflected later on that moment, and this is what he wrote in his journals. He said, lost in death. Jacob Eames was lost, utterly, irrevocably lost, lost to his friends, to the world, to the future, lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air. If Eames' own views were true, neither his life nor his death had any meaning. But suppose Eames had been mistaken. Suppose the scriptures were literally true and a personal God, real, and that hell should open up in that country inn and snatch Jacob Eames, my dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not be coincidence. This young valedictorian of Brown University was Adreniram Judson. And as he sat there and reflected, he was impacted by the power of the gospel, and his life as a playwright was wrecked. He devoted his life, his entire life, which saw him bury three wives, spent 17 months in prison, and for 12 years he ministered in Burma and only saw 18 people saved. And yet at his death, after over 37 years of ministry, he left behind a completed Bible in Burmese... A hundred churches planted, and eight thousand believers. And he wrote this: The prospects are as bright as the promises of God. This is what happens when a life is wrecked by the gospel. Every second, one point eight souls will enter into eternity every day, one hundred and fifty four thousand nine hundred and ninety five people meet their Lord. Every year, 56,573,175 enter into eternity. 22 million of them are part of people groups that have never once heard the gospel. And in that we go, what can I do? But today, you have 86,400 seconds to use for Jesus Christ. Today, you have 1,440 minutes and you have 24 hours to use for the glory of Jesus Christ, to declare his glorious message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. I cannot turn back the hands of time. I'll never know what happened to that young man in that car in the front of my house who laid there broken and bleeding. And is probably today in prison. But I can allow the gospel to so ruin the American dream for me that I can be free to make a dent in the universe for the glory of God and the souls of man. And that is my plea for you this morning that God will so ruin your view of the American dream. That you will be used by God to bring people from the edge of hell into the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ. That you would be used to reconcile men to God. That God would use you to change the lives of the people on either side of you for his eternal glory. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard so many things this week and yet it means nothing if we don't put feet to it. And God, I ask as we depart today that you will work in the souls and the lives of each of us. And there's someone here who doesn't know you that today would be the day they do business with you and are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And if we do know you as our Savior, Lord, that our lives would be so transformed in the way we view you and ourselves and each other that we would not be the same people, that we'll take advantage of every opportunity to show the love of Christ to every single person we meet. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: Well, thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Before you go, we want you to remember that the missions podcast is not the only audio podcast offered by ABWE. Cloud of Witnesses is a biweekly show that dives into the stories of missionaries, faithful goers through the decades and the legacies of faithfulness that they leave to inspire us and how they've wrestled with triumph and trial on the mission field. You can listen to that. Our first season is almost done. We're releasing 10 episodes this year, and the final installment is launching in just a few weeks. And so listen at cloudofwitnessespodcast.com or search for Cloud of Witnesses in your favorite podcast app. Also we wanted to let you know before you go that this is a time of year where every ministry is thinking about budgets. It's thinking about how it's going to sustain itself. And if you've been blessed over the years by the Missions Podcast, just know that this is brought to you because of the generosity of people who support ABWE, people who support ABWE workers and resources, and we want to continue to help goers think and thinkers go in the year ahead. And would you consider making a gift to support the ongoing work of this show, to help bring reform to missions? If you're willing to do so, you can go to missionspodcast.com slash support, hit that tab up at the top. And if not, that's fine, but go ahead and leave us a positive rating and a five-star review and share this show with a friend because those things are the things that organically help this show to grow. We're so grateful for you. It's a privilege to bring you this content week in and week out, and next week, we'll bring you another exclusive conversation. Until then, go make disciples of all nations, and we'll see you next week.